We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast, the Yaman Figures of College Football Podcast. Nick Whalen here, joined, as always, by RotoWire's lead college football editor, John McKechnie. John, we're going to start it off with a question. Bigger statement in Week 5. The Alabama Crimson Tide laying waste to Ole Miss or your University of Georgia Bulldogs taking Arkansas to the woodshed? I think that there's a good case to be made for both. Um, But I think you might say Bama because I, I feel like this, is, this was a game that was billed as – this is what the new SEC football looks like, right? And we were, we were on the pod last week bemoaning what the Big 12 has become. And that, that OK State-Baylor game, by the way, you know, it go, under 40 points were scored. So, yeah, we're, we're done with them. We wash our hands of them. But um, we thought that this was going to be this amazing aerial shootout where uh, Ole Miss really takes Alabama to the hilt and maybe even pulls the upset – in Tuscaloosa, we, we you know with the we don't throw this around lightly, but a, a Bo Wallace moment was thrown around on on the pod last week. It sure and was. What did Alabama do? They went old school. They went bully ball. They yep. just went ahead and, and obviously Ole Miss helped Alabama's cause by some kind of ill advised foot. Like there, there's a fine line between uh, bravery and stupidity, of course, with, with some of these fourth down calls. Uh, doing it on your own 31 uh, in the first half was basically like just un- or unnecessarily putting your team in a spot where if you don't get this, you don't you don't just turn the ball over. You probably just lose the game right there. But yeah. re- regardless, getting back to, to the main thing here, um, I do think that it was an impressive statement from Bama to show that they can run the ball because that, that has been sort of lacking from them. I, I don't think that a lot of people feel that they have – this sort of caliber running back that we're, that we're used to seeing there, you know, between Najee Harris or, or, or Derek Henry or Josh Jacobs, Damian. I mean, the list goes on. 
But Brian Robinson had an awesome game. He looked great. Um, the the O-line kind of imposed its will on, on an Ole Miss defense that's been a lot better this year. Um, and then the defense being able to, for the most part, just completely shut down what had been the most electric offense in college football to this point. Um, I think all all across the board, that that's the type of win that Bama needed to have to, to kind of remind everyone who, who's on top and everyone else is just kind of uh, not necessarily playing for second, but uh, they're still the team to beat if, if you want to be the best team. I do think you're, you're probably right that general consensus is this was a, a slightly bigger statement for Alabama. I, I think neither result is overly surprising, but I, I think there were some more thoughts that, okay, this Arkansas hot start, you know, it's, I don't want to say fraudulent, you know, that they, you know, they, they won games to get to where they were in the polls, but I don't know if there were a lot of people that were truly thinking like, yes, now Arkansas is a top 10 team that can compete with the university of Georgia. Um, so it, I don't think it was all that shocking to see Georgia just come out and completely shut down that Arkansas attack. Now, the degree to which they did it, I think, is maybe a little surprising. I mean, we knew this was a great Georgia defense, but, you know, I think they only backed that up and, and even added to the lore. But, I mean, with Alabama, this was a – you mentioned some of the, the decision-making by Ole Miss in the first half of this game. With less than three minutes on the clock in the second quarter, this was a 14 nothing game in favor of Alabama. That's not where you want to be if you're Ole Miss, but it's manageable. You know, you could come back right. from that deficit – Less than three minutes into the third quarter, it's 35 nothing Bama. You know, you, you don't convert uh, on that, um, you know, that fourth down deep in your own territory. That instantly turns into a touchdown for Bama. You then fumble the ball uh, on your next play. Uh, Alabama turns that in for a touchdown. All of a sudden, it's 28 nothing. You know, you have barely any time before the half. Alabama gets the ball to begin the third, scores right away in, in like two and a half minutes, and all of a sudden, it's 35 nothing, and this game is over. So, you glance at the final score. It, it is a three touchdown spread. This is a game that was expected to be closer than that. But I mean, like, as is often the case with Alabama, especially against SEC opponents, um, it, this could have been a lot worse than it was. You know, it was it was a it was a bigger smackdown than than the forty two to twenty one final score would indicate. Oh, 100 percent, yeah. And, and you know, Ole Miss was you know able to able to kind of help help their scoreboard aesthetics later on in in the game with some garbage time. So. Yeah, th- this is one of those games, you know, sort of like back in the in the classic earlier Saban days where they, they could beat you 17 to nothing, but it really felt like 300 to nothing because you there was just nothing that you were doing that Alabama didn't want you to do or, or couldn't stop themselves. So, yeah, it just it felt like one of those vintage Bama wins where they kind of reestablished themselves as this um not just the team like in recent years that can absolutely light up the scoreboard. And obviously that they, they put up a good amount of points on Saturday, but the, the defense showed up and they just kind of, they had that, that extremely Alabama sequence that, that you mentioned there where they just go full boa constrictor mode on you and just completely squeeze the life out of you before you even know it. Yeah, they were, they were in sicko mode for most of the afternoon uh, against Ole Miss. And, and you mentioned like the way that they did it, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Bryce Young, who is now, I wouldn't say the runaway favorite, but in a very weird Heisman race so far, uh, the clear favorite, you know, the guy who was right there with him, Matt Corral, uh, struggled in this game, didn't throw a pick, but but just really couldn't get much going and, and did a lot of his damage yardage-wise. He got to 213 in the second half when this game was pretty much over. But, you know, they gave Brian Robinson the ball 36 times in this game. That's that's like 1997 Ron Dane coming in against Minnesota and, and carrying the ball 50 times. Like, you just don't see that in, in modern college football all that often. Um, 
you know, especially on a team like Alabama that has other capable options behind him. Uh, obviously, Bama's had plenty of great backs in the past. You know, Robinson maybe uh, on his way to joining that group. But to, to see one back for Alabama carrying the load the way he did, got to 171 yards, four touchdowns, um, and didn't even have really any long runs. His longest run in this game was only like 21 or 22 yards. It's not like he was breaking off big plays. It was just pounding over and over and over and wearing down that Rebels defense. Yeah, he, he really was. And, you know, he had, he had, I believe, been held out the game prior with, with some, some bruised ribs. So they, they apparently were just uh, marinating him, getting him ready for, for, uh, to just go heavy, heavy in, in this one uh, against, against Ole Miss. It was crazy to watch. Like you said, I mean, that, that's a Derrick Henry level of, of trust. And I know that uh, Bama suffered some, some, a little bit of attrition in their backfield. I think during the course of this game, but still, you know, you don't expect 36 carries nonetheless. And he, he, you know, he was held to 4.8 yards per carry. And like you said, just the one pseudo long run, but it still wasn't even uh, that much of a backbreaking play, but it was just consistently over and over again, gaining positive yards. And after a while with that offensive line that Bama has, that just completely wears on you and just kind of like takes your will to live essentially if if you're the defense. So including Arkansas, and Ole Miss, nine top 25 teams went down this past week. 34 ranked teams have now lost this season uh, through five weeks. That is a college football record. And, and it's left us with a really interesting landscape. I think when you look at you know the new AP top 25, a, a lot of familiar schools, I think in there, you, know, you have the exceptions, Iowa up at number three, Cincinnati, of course, at number five, BYU snuck in at number 10, even Michigan State at 11 compared to where they've been the last few years is surprising, but you know, with some of these teams like Oregon going down to Stanford in overtime, all of a sudden, like there's new life for a team like Ohio State, who finds itself at number seven, coming off of a huge win over Rutgers this past weekend. Like Ohio State, firmly right back in the mix. Michigan at five and zero. We'll we'll talk about that game uh, shortly uh, against Wisconsin this past weekend. But it's now shaping up to be a, a really, really interesting race. You know, over these last eight or nine weeks, as we look toward the playoff. And I, I think we're actually getting to a scenario where there's a true possibility that we could finally have a group of five team crash the college football playoff. Am I jumping the gun on that? Is that less realistic uh, than maybe deep down I'm hoping it is? No. I mean, th- let's go process of elimination here. I think you look at the ACC, they're out of it. I mean, Clemson, totally looked, Clemson looked terrible again on Saturday night and needs some help uh, beating uh, Boston College. Let, let me let me interject real quickly. What do you who do you think is the highest ranked ACC team right now? Um, give me two seconds here. NC State. Wake Forest is ranked number nineteen right now. <laughs> Riley Skinner smiles from above. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't even Aaron Curry. I guess smiles from wherever he is below sideways. I don't even know. NC State's at twenty three. Upside mean, down. Right. It, Regardless, your point stands. Clemson's out of this. The ACC's out of this. I mean, barring something unforeseen from Wake Forest the rest of the way, uh, I, I don't see them sneaking into this. I mean, what's what's really interesting is how I, I think this now four or maybe even five way, depending on how you feel about Michigan State, how this you know Big Ten death trap now plays out with Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State uh, all currently very much in the mix. I was going to say undefeated, but Ohio State, of course, lost to Oregon. We get Iowa and Penn State this weekend. Does that game potentially eliminate one of those teams? I, I, I think what's interesting is that for Iowa, if you win this game, they're going to be favored the rest of the way. They do not have another currently ranked opponent on their schedule 
until what would end up being the Big Ten title game in Indianapolis. Whereas Penn State, they still have Ohio State, they still have Michigan, they still have Michigan State, all those teams in the top 11 right now. Right. So I, I think with that in mind, I don't know if it eliminates either necessarily because um, it, it would be a little bit tougher for Iowa because it, it, this would be a home loss and then they don't really get that prove it game afterward, but they could still very well run away with the West right. and then win the Big Ten. And, exactly. and, and at that point, it's hard to discount them. Um, and then straight comment, the Pac-12 kind of removed itself from the conversation th this weekend as well. With, with Didn't Oregon. even consider that. Yeah. Um, and then you look at Penn State, and like you said, you have a huge menu of potential season-defining wins ahead of you. Like, if you lose at Kinnick and it's close, and that happens. That that, that happens to very, very good teams. It, we've seen it happen to Penn State uh, with, with Saquon Barkley a couple of years ago. I think if Penn State were to lose this weekend, but, I mean, it obviously makes things a lot tougher for them moving forward. But if they were to beat that that total lion's den of Michigan state, Ohio state and Michigan, then, I mean, their resume is as good as anybody's at that point at SEC included that, that, that would be an, and having beaten Auburn as well. That's, that's, a, and Wisconsin, even though Wisconsin, obviously, you know, no, that's, not going to rub that, that in, that but means nothing. But I mean, what a, what an absolute, you know, unbelievable run that Penn state would have made if, if they were to right. go 11 and one, having, having dropped just one of those games, even if it is um, at, you know, number three ranked Iowa on the road. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that both, both of these teams are just hoping for or worst case scenario, hoping for a close loss. And if it is, then I think that both end up still being alive in, in the playoff race. And then expounding on, on the point further you know, the Big 12, I, I think that Oklahoma is going down this weekend. So that, then their best hope, I think, is going to be Texas the rest of the way. I think Texas is starting to play some of their best football. Uh, it kind of, you know, it wasn't a struggle, struggle necessarily, but it was it was a hard fought win against TCU that, this past weekend. Um, but I think Texas has the goods that, that Oklahoma just doesn't really seem to or doesn't feel like Oklahoma is interested in finding out if they do have the goods mm -hmm. one way or the other. So um, I think that they Texas would be that one representative. And if they're, if they're only losses on the road to Arkansas, when Arkansas was one of the better teams in the country, then, you know, that's not a terrible resume, but, but really uh, what this means is that, yeah, like the big 10 suddenly kind of becomes the, the epicenter of college football. Uh, maybe they're a conference that, that gets more than one team in, which would be crazy. Right. And then um, it, the door absolutely is open for, for Cincinnati now, given the way that some of these uh, top tier teams have stumbled. I think you could pretty much lock in Alabama and Georgia, barring something completely unforeseen. I mean, those two teams, I, I think they'll play in the in the SEC title game and they'll probably play again uh, in the in the college football playoff final. But you're right about the big end. I mean, I mean, as of right now, you would say with five teams in contention, five, you have almost half of the top 11 teams in the country in one conference. Like, I, I would like their odds to finally get two teams into this. I, I think if you're Cincinnati, the worst case scenario this week is Iowa beats Penn State runs the table and then loses to either Penn state or Ohio state, or maybe even Michigan in the big 10 title game, which would then set up Iowa as, you know, a one loss big 10 team that has a, a quality win over Penn state uh, against a, another, you know, maybe one loss Penn state or one loss Ohio state at that point. Um, I think that would be kind of the nightmare scenario for Cincinnati, right? Where you're, you're pitting a team that maybe is only going to have like one and a half quality wins, uh, depending on what happens with Notre Dame the rest of the way 
um, you know, against a a Big Ten opponent, particularly those teams in the Big Ten East, that if you're if you're making the Big Ten championship game out of that division, you're going to have gone through a gauntlet by that point. Yeah, the the East is crazy strong this year. Like I don't, I don't know if I can remember it being this strong since I really started paying attention to to the Big Ten uh, years back. So like, yeah, because usually one of Michigan or Penn State or Michigan State is down, but all of them are are playing some of the best that they have in recent memory. Uh, right. Specifically, Michigan State. I mean, I, I I gotta you know take the L as far as they're concerned. They've they've really played extremely well this season. Um, I, I'd still would kind of put them fourth of that group in the East, but I mean they, they're really really strong though. Not nonetheless, uh, very impressed with with them so far. Specifically offensively like they're actually fun to watch which is um kind of jarring honestly um but yeah overall i think you laid out the the correct nightmare scenario and and, you know if you're cincinnati you just got to pray that that notre dame uh doesn't cheapen that win by by slipping up again and notre dame they play a hell of a schedule every single year too so you can't uh just kind of assume that they're going to be able to run the table the rest of the way either i think the other nightmare scenario is oklahoma just continuing to loaf its way (laughs) <laughs> to, to an undefeated season like they, they do not have a win over an fbs team by more than seven points you know you, you skate by against tulane in week one you skate by nebraska you skate by west virginia you skate by kansas state if they do find a way to beat texas this weekend the rest of that schedule is tcu kansas texas tech baylor iowa state oklahoma state it's not exactly pushovers but i mean they'll be favored in every one of those games i would think right i mean even if they continue to look relatively unimpressive you know, that, that team ending undefeated and just kind of looking like a, a team that's going to show up to the college football playoff and, and get decimated in round one. At the same time, it's like undefeated Oklahoma versus undefeated Cincinnati. I think we know which way the committee would lean there. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you would have to look past like the, the, like, or the program history, and you'd have to look, at, and you'd hope that the committee would do this, but, you know, look at things like the FPI or, or, or SP plus, and, you know, if at the end of the season, they're both undefeated, and since he has a, a better resume or, you know, better advanced ratings that, that the committee would take that in, into consideration, because basically what you just described there reminds me very much of the 2014 Florida state team, the first year of the playoff where they, they sucked all year, but they kept winning. And, uh, and so they, they were able to get into the playoff and then there, you got the Jameis famous fumble oh, yeah. um, against Oregon in the, in the Rose bowl and Florida state just got completely trounced. Whereas, you know, it would have been awesome to see one of TCU or, or Baylor end up getting in that year, but they were unable to, because there wasn't a conference champion at the time. You know, things were, things were a lot different about seven years ago, but um, yeah, what, what you described there, it just crystallized with me what, what that Florida State path to the, to the playoff was uh, way back when, the, the year after their, their national title, where they just kind of were sleepy the whole year, but, but they didn't lose. Mm-hmm. So along with how weird of a start to the season this has been, like I said, 34 ranked teams already going down in five weeks. We're, we're basically having like seven ranked teams lose per week. Um, it's been a really strange Heisman race. And I said to you before we, we started recording, like, is this through five weeks, the most uninspiring Heisman race that you can remember? I started looking back at, at, you know, the past winners and some of the voting and, you know, they're, some are obviously better than others, but I, I think this year, two things stand out. One, we don't have a clear 
like scorched earth type of season where it's clear early on, like a, a Joe Burrow or a Lamar Jackson or Johnny Menzel or Robert Griffin, where it's like, this guy's winning it. He's having an insane year. It doesn't matter if there's two or three other guys who deserve it. This guy's going to win it if he stays healthy. We don't have that. And we also don't really have like a, a great competition between four or five big names where you, you truly don't know who's going to win it until the announcement on awards night. I, I'm just like overall kind of, kind of uninspired by, by all of our options here. I mean, it's like, it's bad. Like, but the first name that, that came back to me as far, as far as like a, a season that didn't feel in hindsight, all that impressive. I mean, it was impressive. Of course it was impressive. Um, but uh, a race that maybe didn't, seem as awesome or, or as climactic what was the 2015 Derrick Henry one but at least you still had Henry you had Deshaun Watson obviously Henry and Watson ended up playing each other in the college football championship that year um, you had Christian McCaffrey as a finalist as well so that you throw that out um, I think the the races in recent years have been tremendous and then you look at this year and like Bryce Young is the odds-on favorite but it feels like it's almost like he's the de facto odds-on favorite you know where, where it's like yeah, like he he's not he's not Jacob Cokering, but he's got 17 passing touchdowns through through five games. That, that's good, but that's not necessarily lighting the world on fire. 9.2 yards per attempt. Uh, we we've kind of seen in recent years, you know, starting with Baker all the way through through Kyler and and obviously Burrow as well, where those guys are averaging almost 12 yards per pass attempt, like just completely uh, dominating every single time that, that they drop back to pass. Bryce Young also doesn't have really much much in the way of any rushing production. So that the numbers just pale in comparison to, to Heisman trophy winners of the past. Uh, obviously last year we had the crazy year where Mac Jones probably had a Heisman worthy uh, resume, but Devonte Smith was just so next level that he was able to, to take home the crown this mm-hmm. year. There's just no one really pushing Bryce Young. It feels like right now. Um, I feel like if it, if it is going to be someone, it's going to be someone that doesn't play quarterback. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but you know, after the loss last week, it's going to be a little bit tough for, for Corral to catch up because it was the, you know, the proverbial head-to-head matchup um, against Bryce Young. And, and coming out um, not on top in that one definitely hurts his cause, but not as much as you would think. He's still only just plus 250. If Ole Miss runs the table the rest of the way, he looks good. Uh, you know, maybe we'll have to revisit this conversation. C.J. Stroud, I don't understand it. I don't think he's all that good. He's missed a game. Um, I he's just kind of being buoyed by the fact that Ohio state is back in that conversation because so many other teams that have fallen by the wayside, Desmond Ritter, he's been good. He's obviously the, the, the leading guy for Cincinnati, but at the same time, like his production is good, not great. So I think if I'm trying to get in on, on this Heisman race right now, it's Bijan Robinson at, at, um, at plus 3000 at, at, at FanDuel and at BetMGM, um, I think that just if if Bryce Young continues to be good but not great, and then Texas um, somehow, and this is totally possible, they get the win this weekend and run the table the rest of the way, Robinson's going to be the main driving factor behind that. And he's going to have pretty silly numbers, I think, by, by the time that the season's all said and done. I mean, with his pass-catching production on top of what he's doing as a rusher right now, it's pretty special. And, and again, if, if he's playing for a Texas team that's challenging for um, a college football uh, playoff berth, then all the, you know, all this, all the ingredients are there for him to, to at least be a finalist and maybe at least make this thing close. 
Um, so that would be my, my long shot guy. You know, he's averaging 6.2 yards per carry right now. Um, 16.7 yards per reception, which is pretty nuts for a running back having caught 10 out of 11 targets so far. Tons of touchdowns, almost 10 touchdowns through five games. Um, we need to see him have a monster performance against Oklahoma, but it, it, when we re revisit this next week, if Robinson does have that monster game, I think he's at least top three in the Heisman voting or Heisman race um, after this weekend. Yeah, I mean, we. I feel kind of silly now. Five or six weeks ago, we joked about, oh, like you're you're dumb if you're betting on any running backs for this award. But yeah, there's just been a there's been a lot of quarterback attrition in teams that got in terms of guys we thought would be very much in this race, kind of falling out early on. Uh, the Athletic does a, a Heisman straw poll every week, and I think it's very telling that uh, as of right now, there are three defenders and two running backs in the top nine vote getters. And Sean Clifford also received two second place votes Ooh. this week. So that, that is where we stand right now. Kenny Pickett is in the mix. He's he's like right on the verge of being in the top five. Um, I, I'm with you. In terms of value, I think Robinson is probably the best bet. Um, although this, this does kind of remind me of 2009, which was the Mark Ingram Heisman. Like mm -hmm. in my opinion, like probably the worst season to win the Heisman in the last couple of decades, at least. That was the Ingram versus Toby Gerhardt. And they were separated by like 28 votes. Like, Tabinbo, Gunnar Gerhardt almost won this award. Um, and then, of course, like not to get, you know, go full Wisconsin here, but Melvin Gordon didn't win the Heisman and he rushed for 900 more yards and 11 more touchdowns than Mark Ingram. And he didn't win, but Mark Ingram won. Like that, that just shows trick. how bad of a year. It was such a down year. And it was like, well, I mean, Alabama's really good. I guess we'll just give it to their workhorse running back. And that's kind of how it feels with Bryce Young, but it's a quarterback instead of a running back. Yeah. The, yeah. The, time, the times have changed, but um, yeah, yeah that, that's a great like stark comparison as, as for what the production can look like in a given year versus the other and, and what will get it done as far as uh, winning that, that award is concerned. So now that's a, that's a tremendous little parallel you drew there. Um, but yeah, either way um, this is a, this is the Rotowire college football podcast, official call to the, the cool players out there. Please. Start looking cool out there. Please start making this Heisman race. Interesting. We, we, we need it. I don't know what I'm going to do if Sean Clifford is in New York for the Heisman ceremony. We, we <laughs> we're going to go and we're going to riot. The, the season will have been a failure on a number of <laughs> levels if, if someone allows that to happen. Uh, speaking of catastrophic failures, John, a mm. very tough week for me here in Jaguars, Badgers, LeBron, Brewers, Nation. Uh, tough week for all four of those entities. Yeah. But the Badgers especially, man. My God. I I will say this is this is about what I predicted. It's about what all my friends who I was watching the game with on Saturday predicted. Nobody was surprised by this result. It was mm -hmm. a virtual repeat of the Notre Dame game, uh, except for the onslaught began a little bit earlier this time around. I mean, this is this is now easily the worst Wisconsin team. Uh, I mean, since, certainly since I was in school, starting in 2010, uh, and that speaks to more you know how much success or how how nice this run has been over the last decade. But this has gone from. Okay, that was that was a little bit concerning a couple of weeks ago. To this is a, a full on tire fire. This offense. I mean, I I'd be lying to you if I said that I I had the Wisconsin game on very much on yeah. Saturday. Well, I don't blame of course, you. I'm, I'm following along the discourse. I'm I'm getting the distress signals from from you and uh, listener friend of the show, listener of the show, Chris Owen, who is who is live on the scene uh, at the game. But oh, poor guy. I know. I mean, he he posed this question to me or he didn't pose it. it this was just him speaking from the heart. And I, I want to hear your thoughts. Are you done with Paul Christ? Uh, no, 
No, I'm not done with Paul Christ. I still think he's the guy. I actually don't really put a ton of this on Paul Christ. I think they, you know, maybe he deserves some blame for wildly miscalculating the quarterback situation. I, I think they went all in on a guy who clearly is not the guy that people thought he was, but I, I, I don't necessarily put all that blame on Chris. I, I, I always come back to this, especially when it comes to college football, a team like Wisconsin cannot do much better than Paul Christ, you know, unless you could go get Chris Peterson or, you know, some, some kind of almost borderline celebrity type of coach that's going to dramatically raise the profile of your program overnight. I don't think it's worth it. You know, I mean, I guess you could, you could theoretically turn things over to Jim Leonard, who's been a monster as a defensive coordinator and who you're probably going to lose to a head coaching job somewhere else um, if you don't promote him. But no, I, I don't think you can, you can let, you know, four games of one season erase what's been, I think a, a really strong tenure overall for, for Paul Christ. You know, like five weeks ago, we were feeling really good about the direction of this program under Paul Christ. I, I, I mean, it's been a disappointment certainly, but I don't think you can overreact to what's a pretty small sample. Now, if they come back next year and nothing changes and it looks like they've gone from the first or second best team in their division to the fifth or sixth, you know, then that becomes more of a trend and, and that's a little bit more concerning, but I don't know, man. I, we, we've seen teams. I mean, Michigan State was in the college football playoff, and then they were like the worst team in the division for a year or two, and now they're borderline top 10. Like, you could bounce back pretty quickly. And I think one thing a coaching search does or a coaching firing does is automatically sets you back. No matter who you hire, you're, you're going to kind of lose a recruiting cycle. You're going to lose guys to transfers, especially in modern college football. I, I don't think it's worth setting a program back that, that seemingly has already taken a step back this year. That's good Wednesday level-headed analysis right there. That's good. Uh, you know, Saturday maybe it felt a little different. I, I don't know where where the um, where like the the blame, uh, you know, uh, waterfall really started for you. And obviously, Chris wasn't the first guy that that it came to. And I think it's fair to you know pointed at, at Mertz before anyone else. But I, I just wanted to to uh, get get a sense of that pulse. Um, given that, you know, last year, I think you kind of just get COVID mulligan forgiveness yep. for, for last year and the way things ended last season. Um, still, we're able to, to win the Mayo Bowl. So, I mean, all, all's well that ends well, right? But, um, yeah, th just the way that this year has gone and, and, you know, having so many potential measuring stick games, be it Penn State, be it Notre Dame, and then, you know, you get Michigan at home, somewhere that Michigan hasn't won in forever, and that, that you guys have kind of traditionally pantsed uh, Jim Harbaugh at, you know, that, that just kind of had to be a, a bit of a sobering one. But, you know, there's still season to be played here, and and uh, we'll see how it goes. And, and I'm with you overall. I think that Chris is that he is Wisconsin. Yep. And I think that, yeah, Jim Leonard would be the only reasonable pivot at this time. And and even still like it, it, Chris, I think still has some good years in him. It's just, you know, he's been waylaid by the, by this quarterback situation right now. Yeah. I, I talk to a ton of people every week about the Badgers and pretty much everybody mentions Graham Mertz one and the offensive line, not being what we're used to too. I, I, I've heard very few people like turn on Paul Chris. I, I'm, I'm surprised that our, that our pal Chris Owen, uh, is maybe in that category, but um, no, it's, it's, it's the line and it's the quarterback play. And, and again, I, I think we've, I wouldn't say Wisconsin has been spoiled. Tough to say that about a team that, you know, hasn't even won a Rose bowl, but I, I think you have to kind of put everything in context and remember the caliber of recruits that are arriving on campus and what traditionally they've turned into, which has been, you know, you show up as like a one and a half star and you leave as like a second team, all big 10 type of guy. So 
you know, the, the, this coaching staff traditionally has done an incredible job of development. I, I see this as more of a blip, but uh, like you said, we'll see. We'll see how it goes the rest of the way. We'll see how much how much pride they have. You know, it's one thing to lose games that your fan base expects you to lose, but if they start losing to like Rutgers and I don't even know, you know, I hate to say it, Maryland teams like that, you know, then then the alarm bells start to go off. Where it's like, how how sure. bad is this team actually? I felt terrible. My sister actually went to the game on Saturday, her first ever Badgers game. She stopped by last week to like borrow some Badgers paraphernalia. And I was just like, I feel so bad that you're going to this. Like I, I felt like I was sending her off to war. <laughs> okay. We, we got to move on. <laughs> Toughest uh, yes, tough comparing, comparing the Badgers to world war two. Okay. Uh, anyone, anything else you want to hit? In week five, obviously we hit we we hit the two big SEC games. Um, I, I briefly touched on Oregon going down in OT to Stanford. Um, you know Oklahoma once again hanging on for dear life. We saw A and M lose, LSU terrible again. Uh, although Coach O did come out today and he has taken responsibility for the team sucking. So at least there's that. Good on him for doing that again on Wednesday. Um, so he collected his thoughts and still yes. realized that, um, yeah, it's pretty this much. This one's on me, guys. <laughs> I mean, this, God, some of the tackle. I mean, that was just a goofy, goofy game on Saturday night. But, you know, all the advantages were there. You got Bo Nix on the road. You're, you get, like, that special Death Valley kickoff at, at eight local time that, like, basically no one else gets. Yeah. Um, and you still lose. That's mm, – that's – I think the clock's ticking for for old Coach O, um, and and the uh, the parallels between him and Giz- Gina Chizik uh, grow stronger by by the day. Uh, only uh, only real difference seems to be the accent at, at this point. Um, but yeah, so they're in shambles. Um, I, I think that they're in such a tough stretch right now. I think that that they let Coach O go up through the Bama game, and then when they get rinsed by Alabama, then they're gonna fire him because I, I think like there will just be like. Will it really matter in, in terms of their coaching search? Probably not, but I think there will just be so much volume and vitriol fr- from Tiger Nation at that point that the, like he's just going to have to go, even if it's kind of unceremonious. It's going to be – it's I'm foreseeing just absolute disaster the rest of the way for him and for them. Um, so that's just kind of how I view it. And then uh, it, we would be remiss, Nick, if, if we didn't uh, also mention that uh, Florida, uh, they, they lost to Kentucky. Um, so. They did. That did happen. Uh, I can um, confirm a lot of turn or a lot of penalties, a lot of penalties. Um, the, the offensive line doesn't seem to know how to play offensive line. Um, and that seems to be an issue. So, I mean, uh, credit to Dan Mullen for uh, playing Alabama close and, and playing Kentucky close. Um, I don't think they won either of those games, but um, yeah, playing them close. Had a chance to win that game at the end too. Yeah. I mean, they were driving yeah. into Kentucky territory and, and just some, uh, I wouldn't say a collapse, but some some questionable decision making uh, by that Florida offense at the end of the game, and and Kentucky wins it on like a walk off defensive stop. Uh, back to back to Coach O real quickly. I do think it's heading that way. I think they're going to get smacked around. They'll probably lose another game they shouldn't lose before the Alabama game, and then that's going to be the final straw. But I also I also feel like he's going to go out in like a blaze of glory. Like he's, I I think it's gonna it's gonna be kind of like a sad like really abrupt ending to what looked like a like borderline hilarious, but also really cool situation when he won the national title. But I, I still feel like he's going to go out. Like people are going to remember him positively. Whereas like, I don't, I, people, you know, Gene Chizik did win the national title, but looking back, it's more of those, like, how the hell did that happen? Whereas mm-hmm. that LSU team was so talented and so iconic at the time that even though 
Coach O is, is probably going to be gone like less than two years later. I, I think he's going to be remembered fondly because of how how like beloved that team was and how dominant that team was. Oh yeah, I mean this was that Auburn team. It only had Cam Newton. Like no, right. like famously, like no one else got drafted from that team. I don't think. I don't think so. So, so there, yeah, or uh, other than Nick Fairley. Um, but yeah, you, yeah, that LSU team from 2019. Like they will. No one can ever take that away from them. Like that would that to me, and I think. I hold like those early 2000s Miami teams uh, in in a really high esteem or maybe some of the like the first or second USC one for from the Pete Carroll years as well. I think to me that that 2019 LSU team was probably the best that I've ever seen. I know that Bama comes along the, the next year, like the annoying neighbor that has to one up you. And they were incredible as well. But I. There was something about that that yeah. 2019 LSU team, and and I mean they beat what like eight top ten teams, and they crushed basically all of them. I mean that was that was absolutely something else. So yeah, even though it, it, it is likely coming to an end for, for Coach O, he will always have that, and he, you know he's an entertaining figure to uh, nonetheless. I don't think anyone would ever like paint Chiswick as some sort of like you know real charismatic fella. Uh, no, nobody will be mistaking him as that. I, I think you're totally right, by the way, about LSU. I, I think they're in the conversation with those iconic Miami teams. Um, I, I mean, honestly, they, there are some parallels, I think, to that Cardale Jones, Ohio State team that kind of came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, like by the time the college football playoff was over, we're like, that team is freaking loaded. You know, and yeah. I don't think people realized it at the time. Uh, I mean, I, I think 05 Texas also comes to mind as somewhat of a one hit wonder type of team, especially with what happened to that program afterward. And, and it's really hard to pick out one Alabama team, right? Because it's like, they yeah. all have like, what have they won now under Saban five or six titles? Like each one has had, you know, one or two super iconic players, but you know, until recently, none of those teams really had like a great quarterback or, you know, the defense would be better one year. The offense would be better another year. Like if you could make an all-star team of all those Alabama teams, you know, then you'd get the greatest team ever. But it's hard to say that there was one that sticks out as being like significantly more dominant than the rest. Right. I, I think in, you know, recency bias probably plays a, a small role in this, but, you know, I would I would venture to guess that the last year's was probably maybe the best of the, of the saving bunch just because it was, you know, the culmination of, you know, that 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 legendary 2017 recruiting class that, that right. won when they were freshmen and then they, they win it as seniors undefeated, um, super impressive like 17 that they lost to Auburn like that, you know, they had a small blemish on their resume. Like last year, they, they were, you know, kind of right up there with, with the way that LSU was the, the year prior. I would still sure. give the edge to LSU the year prior, but uh, yeah, last year it was maybe, maybe I'm just saying that because the offense was so dominant as opposed to sure. you know some of those other ones, maybe, maybe theoretically that 2011 team, but they weren't as memorably like fun, I guess, as, um, Mm-hmm. is what we had last year from from uh from the tide yeah the only thing i'd push back on is it was a covid year and i, I think there are people that would say well you, you can't be the most iconic team in a covid year when when guys are sitting out and it's mickey it's, mouse you know, all, yeah exactly mickey mouse season uh week six a couple good matchups this week uh overall somewhat of a down week especially relative to to the games we were treated to last week but but the, the headliners are are very much headliners we get oklahoma texas on Saturday morning, of course, that's a noon start uh, in the Eastern window, 11 a.m. Central time at the Cotton Bowl. That'll be on ABC. Oklahoma, three and a half point favorites over number 21, Texas. Uh, Arkansas and Ole Miss get to play each other in like the bounce back bowl 
in, in Oxford. <laughs> uh, Arkansas now at 13, Ole Miss Consolation now at ladder in, in, in live action. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, which team will be down really bad after they lose this game? Um, <laughs> we get Georgia and Auburn. JT Daniels sounds like still iffy at best for this one. Maybe you have more insights there than I do. Uh, and then the big one, the granddaddy of them all this week, Penn State and Iowa. Uh, I wish this was a night game. I, I don't like that this is a 3 p.m. time, uh, start time, I should say, for me here in the Midwest. Uh, that's a Fox game. Uh, the night game that we're treated to on CBS, we get Alabama and A&M. Not bad. You know, LSU plays Kentucky on the SEC network as well. Uh, Michigan-Nebraska, for some reason, is the ABC game. I, I would I would like to put out a public plea for them to flip that uh, with Penn State-Iowa. But, um, yeah, like I said, a, a bit of a down week overall. But the, the two matchups that we have to keep an eye on, Oklahoma-Texas and Penn State-Iowa, uh, should be really, really good. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about, about like, the yeah, the upper crust of, of this week. Like you said, we, we get some really good ones there. Um yeah, it's a little bit underwhelming elsewhere. Um, I, I guess let's get into to Texas OU first. Um, I'm just I couldn't be more disillusioned with the, with this Oklahoma team. I, I think that they just continue to just play sloppy down to the down to their level of competition. Uh, maybe just winning because you know what they have in the uh, you know on the field recruiting wise and talent wise is just enough to, to get them past, you know, your, your Kansas States of the world or, or to eke one out um, against West Virginia, but just so underwhelming, uninspiring, whatever uh, words with the unprefix you want to attach to Oklahoma, they've, they've pretty much defined it this year. Uh, whereas Texas, obviously they got completely pants and everyone, everyone like really likes to celebrate when Texas gets pants. And I, I get in on it too, you know, sort of like the, the scene in, in um, Step Brothers where everyone's piling on uh, Brennan uh, during the pirate musical and, and, you know, Derek starts the chant and everyone, everyone chimes in. Um, that's kind of what it feels like whenever Texas gets embarrassed on, on national TV. You read my like mind. Did. Yes, exactly. Um, so I get that, but Texas, I think, has played well. I'm still just kind of like intoxicated by what Texas did against Texas Tech a couple weeks ago when they hung 70 on them. Uh, last week was a bit more of a battle, um, but I, maybe they were, you could accuse them of, of playing a little look ahead, whether they deserve to do that or earn the right to do that or not. Uh, that's another discussion, but I know SP plus likes Oklahoma to win this one by a touchdown. I got Texas money line. I, I think that Texas is hungrier. I think Texas wants this win more. I think the Texas talent wise is right there with Oklahoma, you know, say what you will about Tom Herman, but he still recruited really well there. They got tons of dudes there to, to borrow the Steve Adazioism. So I, yeah, I like Texas this weekend. I think that this is like the official B. John Robinson. I'm a Heisman candidate weekend. It feels like Oklahoma has to be favored in this game just because they're undefeated and, and Texas has a loss and there's 15 spots separating them in the rankings. Like I get that, but I'm with you. I mean, I, I think you could, you could look at this Oklahoma team and say like, man, they just keep finding ways to win. You know, they're, they're so resilient, but I, I choose to look at it the other way and be like, how are you even in this situation week after week? And you, you just can't continue to play an entire season that way and expect, you know, what are essentially becoming like 50, 50 games every week to keep going your way. And, and when you have a team like Texas that can gouge you on the ground, um, the way a lot of these inferior teams that they've been messing around with haven't been able to, I, I think they're going to find themselves in trouble. So yeah, I'm with you. I, I think this is a, a an intriguing betting opportunity on top of the upset. Yep. I, I do as well. And, and yeah, like to, to your point, like that's okay. And maybe like a, a little bit of like a, 
that's how you get like the the cardiac cats, uh, uh, you know, like the Panthers from a few years ago right. in the NFL. Like it, the, those type of teams that are always hanging around and have these exciting games where they find a way to win. That's that's a little bit more palatable in the NFL because like the the talent differential between the best and the worst team isn't nearly as wide as as you know when Texas lines up against Kansas State and they still need to just really really struggle to eke it out. There, therein lies the problem. Like the Oklahoma shouldn't be having those type of games. Period. Like th- this should, this really should be their only close game on the schedule, and they've already played what four four close games. Right. Exactly. And like the, the cardiac teams are usually not good teams. You know, they're like they're like bad yeah. teams or average teams that just keep finding ways to win. Uh, it's not. It's never like a great team that is like consistently underwhelming. No. God no. No. Uh, what's your read on Penn State and Iowa? Iowa, one and a half point favorites in this one. We got a, a juicy over-under of 41 points. Yep, so we're, we're expecting the fireworks in this yeah. one. This is – I have such a hard time reading Penn State. Um, obviously, that they've they've made it to this point. They've made it this far. I, I was banging the, the gavel before the season to throw out the, what they did in 2020, maybe more so than any other team. Uh, just because I, I really do like what James Franklin has, has built there. I, I also don't think that Sean Clifford is as bad as um, as people say. And I do like to joke about him. I don't think he's as good as maybe he was two years ago, as good as I thought he was two years ago at least. Um, the run game is a little bit shaky. Their defense is awesome, though. Their defense has playmakers at every single level. Um, that, that hasn't seemed to change at all. So they've got that going for them. But this is Kinnick. This is a really hard place to win. Iowa just, you know, this seems to be like the, the weird years seem to be the years that Iowa thrives. Like remember 2015 when they won the West kind of out yeah. of nowhere. Um, and, and, you know, they, they had that game against Michigan State in the, in the Big Ten Championship. You know, it, it could be something similar. And I know that a lot of people like to say like, oh, it's all turnover luck when, when it comes to Iowa. But like at what point is it? I mean. Yes, that there is like a degree of luck in turnovers, but how lucky are they when like they're doing this to every single team that they play? You know, like so if Penn State doesn't take extreme care of the ball here, then I was going to I was going to force those turnovers and turnovers can completely change the game, especially when we have a, a, you know, a narrow or a low total of 40 and a half where there's just not that much margin for error, not that much room to play catch up. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least we we don't think. I think that Iowa could, you know, they steal a couple possessions here and there, and like that kind of ends up being it. So um, I like Iowa in this one. SP Plus likes Penn State to win this one outright. Um, SP Plus, I think, is just, I, and obviously that's like the goat of of college football metrics, basically. And, and but it seems to not have the right read on Iowa because it, it also had Iowa losing to Maryland outright last weekend. So I'm going to I'm going to just say that there's one little loophole in there and it's it's on Iowa that there there's a blind spot there. I think Iowa wins this one in a, in a close one. And call me crazy. I think we might go over 41. You think there's going to be you think a team can get to like 25 points in this game? I think it's possible, especially if those turnovers happen. That is true. That is true. Short fields. I mean, Iowa, second-best defense in the country in terms of opponent scoring, uh, under 12 points per game. Allowed, they've allowed 58 total points the entire season. I mean, 
the, the thing that that makes this one so difficult and, and the spread is indicative of that, you know, again, one and a half points is I feel like both of these teams thrive in this type of game. Like this is, this is the, you know, low scoring, let the defense handle it, let our quarterbacks game manage it, you know, put the ball in the running backs hands. Um, I, I think they both look forward to a game like this. It's not like it, there's, it's like a great offense against a great defense or vice versa. It's, you know, it, it's two teams that are, are fully buying into a low scoring, you know, bleed out the clock type of game. Yeah, they, they are, and so that we get we get a little bit of the Spider Man meme uh, appeal to, to this one. I, I'm I'm looking forward to this one. It's going to be uh, you don't get to say this one for a college football game all that often anymore. But we got a slobber knocker on our hands, Nick. Whoa, whoa! All right, I'll I'll bleep that out in post. Uh, <laughs> I, I yet again have a have another wedding this weekend, so it's going to be a you know get it get it going on the phone, kind of hold it low <laughs> below the chair type of situation. Um, we got a Brewers playoff game. On, on Saturday afternoon as well, Big. just getting, you know, buried by the, by that early afternoon start time. Uh, did some recon on the venue. There do not appear to be, to be uh, TVs, at least not on the website. Um, so we're going to be in a bit of a crisis situation. I'm going to have to figure something out. I, I'm not above. I brought my own TV to a wedding before. I, I might have to do it again. I think, yeah, and we're going to need, um, and listeners can obviously donate to this fund, but we need to make sure that your, your phone's as juiced as, as possible. Like we're going to need, upwards of either like a 10 foot long uh lightning cord or whatever or like multiple port portable chargers with like you know yeah. that are like borderline nuclear powered so you can you can stay mm. at 100 percent efficiency uh you don't have to go in low power mode anything like that you can be you can be streaming yeah. at, at max effort and, and really not be blinking an eye about it so i mean you hit the nail on the head i actually have two mobile chargers that i usually keep with me at events like this. This is where it's nice to have a, a date who owns a purse and usually brings that around. It just acts as like my electronics bag. Um, so yeah, I usually have, you know, two juiced up uh, charging banks because like everybody knows, you, know, you stream a game, that's going to suck the battery. You know, you got to have the, you got to have the brightness up. You got to, you got to be seeing everything. Um, and especially a night like this where, you know, I'm going to probably go straight from streaming Iowa Penn state right into streaming the Brewers. I mean, we could be looking at four to five consecutive hours. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's, you know, you're asking a lot of your team and your, your team asks a lot of you. So um, I, I think that we're going to see this pull through and I, I look forward to, to hearing the, um, you know, the, the, the summary during, and then of course for our, for our listeners next week. And then just a general comment for me, my, my two sort of adopted, you know, places that I live in and am well wisher of, I'm like running into, into this again, because, you know, over the summer, we had Hawks, Bucks, and it's like, oh, I got, got my Georgia friends, got my Wisconsin friends. And then again, we got Brewers, Braves now. It's like, how do I choose? This is um, they're, they're making it tough on me, the sports gods, with, with my uh, neutral fandom uh, type of things. I don't really even know how to describe it. But if there's one phrase that I try to live by, it's God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. And That's right. I think this is once again being born out here. Uh, quick question, though. Do people in Georgia, like when you were in school at, at – University of Georgia. Did people really care about the Atlanta Hawks? I've always wondered that. Um, no, I, my I was living here during that Kyle Korver year. Um, yeah, that year, yeah, the, the 2015 year. So like people were in on them because they won what 60 games or something. So people got excited that they went undefeated for that. So there was a, a small amount of buzz, but I was living in Athens at the time. So okay, um, I, I don't have the the full accurate read, but it seemed like people were were totally buzzing about them. Uh, this year, because this year felt like it was more like the beginning of like yeah. an actual like team that's going to be a force in the East. And they actually have like a star like Trey Young, as opposed to 
Damari Carroll. <laughs> when that, I was so out on that Hawks team when they, they gave the, I think it was the January player of the month award was they just gave it to the entire Hawks starting five. <laughs> like that's never been done. That's not even, it was never even a possibility in the past, but they're like, you know, we love this team so much that we're going to make the whole team the player of the month. And as soon as that happened, I knew they were going to get swept out of the playoffs and uh, boy, did they let's just say that. Uh, all right. DFS week six, walk me through the slate. We'll start with quarterbacks. Uh, despite the defeat last week, Matt Corral sits at the top of the list going up against that Arkansas defense. He's at 10,000. You got Brennan Armstrong at Virginia. You got Malik Cunningham. You got Sam Hartman, CJ Stroud coming off a five touchdown game. Uh, where are you looking at quarterback? So I, I think the way that I'm going to go with this one in Corral 10K against Arkansas, like I think Arkansas, they're a defense that that sets up to, it's built to slow down, not necessarily stop, but slow down uh, this Ole Miss type of like Ar- Arkansas's problem last week was that they basically dared Georgia to run. And you shouldn't do that. You should not do that at all. But you can dare Ole Miss to run. That's fine. But, you know, so you drop eight. And I think that in that case, you know, maybe we see Corral have a good but but not great game. So the way I'm kind of looking at this guy is I like the idea of a Malik Cunningham, Brennan Armstrong game stack. So you, you throw one of them at quarterback, one of them um, at your super flex spot, and then you go ahead and you run it back. They got cheap pass catchers on, on both sides of this one. I don't think Louisville throws it quite enough, to, and they don't really have an established star at, at, in the passing game quite enough to where I'm going to load up on Louisville pass catchers. I'll get to the running backs in a minute. I think there's a way to, to go about that one, but – with Armstrong, like Virginia just runs so many plays and they have such a gigantic, hilarious lack of, of, a, of a real running game or at least a, a running back right now that Armstrong kind of has to do all that on his own. And then you look at the receivers, uh, Keaton Thompson, former quarterback at Miss State. We'll get to another one, former Miss State quarterback here in a minute. But uh, Keaton Thompson, 4,600, um, got 10 targets last week. So I really, really, it's going to be chalky, but I think pairing him, with Brennan Armstrong is going to be a, a core play of a lot of my lineups. Um, seven targets a game, 8.7 yards per target. Louisville, third worst passing defense on the slate. Dontavian Wicks is a guy who has the highest salary on DraftKings this week. I might jump down. He's got the touchdown upside too, so I, I don't blame anyone for going for him. But for 500 less, you get uh, Billy Kemp, 6,500. Um, not quite the same explosiveness, but has that target volume that, that you love. Uh, for PPR formats. So um, I think going Cunningham, Cunningham Armstrong is a really nice way to start out. Um, I'm willing to buy back in. Obviously, my optimism on, on Texas is bordering on reckless at, at this point, but um, I loved Casey Thompson last week. I made him my cover guy um, for my DraftKings article. Uh, he betrayed me, but um, I'm willing to go back to the well. Uh, 7,400. Uh, Texas still has a ton of talent in that passing game, or you can just dump it off to B. John Robinson and, and, you know, it's, it's all the better. So I like Thompson down at 7,400. And then my froggy little play of the week here at, at the quarterback spot is again, another former Miss state quarterback, Garrett Schrader, um, a, a guy who is a phenomenal athlete, actually, like not even kidding. Like once, uh, once Miss state kind of decided that he wasn't going to be a quarterback for them, uh, he did, try to, to play, try to convert to, to receiver, which is, you know, something that's pretty impressive to do for a guy that's a quarterback. So um, he ran all over the place last week in the game against, I, I think, believe, believe it was Florida state. 
So he gets to go up against Wake Forest, fast track there at the Carrier Dome at home. Uh, Schrader seems to be the guy there. Um, I really, really like him at 6,700. I certainly like him more than KJ Jefferson at 6,900 against Mississippi um, or, you know, getting it, uh, any of the quarterback play uh, from like the Georgia Auburn game. So, so uh, keep Schrader on your radar because he, he's got, he's got that athleticism that, that can really change things on this slate. Where do you look at running back? Uh, B. John Robinson on a tier of his own, you know, coming off of his fourth 30 plus point or DraftKings point game in five outings at his best game of the season, 200 plus yards, 40 plus DraftKings points last Saturday against Texas tech. He's at 9,300. So you got to pay up. I mean, there's a $1,200 difference between he uh, and Kenneth Walker, who's at 81. And then you get down to kind of that third tier of 10 or 15 guys who are all separated uh, by about, you know, a thousand to $1,500. That's where you're fine. Travion Henderson, Chase Brown, Tyler Goodson, Letty Brown, uh, that whole crew. Uh, are, are you investing in Robinson? If so, which lower cost back are you going to pair him with? Um, let's see here. Uh, I just got a text from my dad saying that uh, he saw somebody slip on a banana peel um, at the Metro. Oh. So that, that's just oh, like we, a... Do we need to go? <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope that someone is playing yakety sax like the, as this person like falls over. <laughs> or at, um, least, at least a slide whistle sound effect. <laughs> we need it. We need it. Um, so hopefully someone else uh, saw that as well. Um, but when it comes to the running back position, I know I've been gassing up Bijan Robinson as if he needs any more gassing up. Um, but I, I don't know how much he makes sense for DFS this weekend, or at least like high exposure. He's in all of your lineups the way he was like last weekend against TCU when he is 9,300 and you look at those other quality running backs that, that you can have some savings with. Um, I think that going like that upper mid tier at running back is, is the way to go this weekend. So like Tyler Algier of BYU going up against Boise state's run defense, they cough up over 200 or almost 200 rushing yards per game this season. Love Letty Brown and his matchup. Tion Evans, 6,900. He was a huge slate changer last week against Mizzou. Mizzou's run defense is hilariously bad. So he took advantage of that one with Jabari Small going out. If Small is out again this weekend, Evans, 6,900 against South Carolina. Absolutely love that. And I don't know if you saw these, but Tennessee busting out some kind of crazy uniforms, at least by Tennessee standards. They're wearing like all black. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I so, saw them. I I love them. I think that actually contrasts really well with the the Tennessee shade of of like peachy orange. Yes. Why is the helmet white? That's that's my only complaint here. The helmet's got to be black too. Yeah. No, you're right. No, that they need a, a helmet analyst like yourself to to you know just make sure that there's no uh, mm -hmm. gaffes like that 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 slip through in the, in the final mock-up. Um, but yeah. I think Tennessee, yeah, rolls this weekend. They, they they run super high tempo. They they run the ball extremely effectively. So Evans, I think, is someone to seriously consider. I think you could also consider, provided that he gets another start, Hendon, Hendon Hooker um, at quarterback. Uh, Sean Tucker, you know, kind of going along with, with my Garrett Schrader thoughts. Um, I think that Syracuse, the only move the ball on the ground. Um, Tucker still had a good game last week, even with Schrader having a, a good game on the ground. So, um, I think that Syracuse game pass game basically doesn't exist anymore. And it's all their yardage comes on the ground via Tucker and Schrader. Now I do like Trevion Henderson. I, I hate to say it, but I, I think that Ohio state could just kind of name their score this weekend against my beautiful Maryland Terrapins. I think that, you know, they're going to, they're going to run if they want for over 300 yards. And I think Henderson's going to have a lot to do with it. So I'm not going to have him in all of my lineups, um, but I'm definitely going to have him, 
in, in a bunch of them. So I do like Trevion Henderson um, at 7,500. And then, oh yeah, touching on some cheap ones, uh, going back to Louisville real quick, Jalen Mitchell, 4,600, and Tevion Cooley, uh, 3,700. Cooley, 11 carries last week at just 3,700 this week. Um, I, I don't think that uh, Virginia is particularly strong against the run. So um, if, you, if you're if you picking up what I'm putting down as far as getting that Louisville exposure, uh, I, I think it, you go through uh, the backfield with that one. All right, Jonathan, let's finish out at the receiver position. We got Dontario Drummond at Ole Miss at the top of the board. He's at 7,700. Uh, obviously a much easier matchup this week going up against that Arkansas defense. We got a total of 66 and a half in that game. Yeah, Chris Olave at 7,600. I think he'd be in pretty good shape if you just paired Olave with Garrett Wilson every week. Those guys have, have both found ways to be productive week in and week out in that Ohio State defense or offense. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, what I was thinking of is they're going up against that Maryland defense. And you already said uh, this could be a name your score type of game for Ohio State. Um, are, are you getting Olave? Are you getting Wilson in any of your lineups? Uh, there, there's definitely appeal for, for both of them. I mean, they're, they're both just kind of automatic. And when you have uh, Stroud back there, uh, you you got to figure that everything is kind of in play. Olave, 10 yards a target this year, just really, really consistent. Wilson, not not too far behind or actually just slightly ahead. Um, only saw three targets a week ago, so um, not really um, sure what was up with that. But it, but again, Ohio State ha- had a glaring command of, of that one. So um, I think both are, are good plays. I don't think I'm having high exposure to them across – multiple lineups, but I think you would be crazy to not have at least one game, one lineup that stacks Ohio state, just given the fact that their expected score in the, in this one is just leaps and bounds ahead of anyone else on the slate. 45.75 is their implied total. Next highest is Louisville at 36. So um, a Stroud, Wilson, Olave, uh, trio might might be a way to go, especially in a lineup where where you aren't going with, with Trevion Henderson. Um, if this one does turn out to be Maryland pushes them a little bit, um, then I think you could go uh, with, with those two that you mentioned there. And I, I'd be a little bit interested on the other side, running that back with, with Rakeem Jarrett um, of Maryland. He's really talented. He was obviously a huge get for Maryland a few years ago when he committed and flipped from LSU. Um, and with Dante Demas being out for the season, I think that we're going to see um, even more target share go up for Rakeem Jarrett, just 4,100. Um, obviously, he's going to get a lot of the attention of that Ohio State secondary. But if we, if we see Jarrett, especially in the game script where Maryland's playing catch up, Jarrett could push for a career high in, in targets this weekend. And I think that at 4,100, he has the talent to make that payoff, even against a really good, a talented secondary like Ohio State's. All right, let's finish this thing out. Give me some picks for this weekend. You can go straight up. You can go against the spread. Uh, I'm just going to go down. You give me uh, what your first inclination is on every game. So we'll we'll hit the big ones. Oklahoma at Texas. We got Oklahoma minus three. Um, Give me Texas money line. Okay. I love it. Ohio State, can they cover 21 at home against Maryland? I think they can. I think that they will. Michigan State, only five and a half point favorites at Rutgers. This one's tricky, and I think that there there could be something DFS-wise. Brandon Sanders, Rutgers. Um, Michigan State has a pretty bad pass defense, um, so Bo Milton a little bit dinged up. Keep an eye for him potentially, depending on how the injury situation uh, shakes out. But I think that Michigan State takes care of business here, and I, I think that they, they cover that spread. 
Arkansas at Ole Miss. We got Ole Miss minus five and a half. This one's really tricky. I got to go Ole Miss, though. Um, it's going to be close. Um, maybe maybe Arkansas keeps it closer, but my, my inclination is that Ole Miss just has a little bit too much firepower, so give me the reps. Can the dogs cover 15 and a half at Jordan-Hare? No. That place is too crazy to play in, and I, I think coming off of, of, of last week, um, it's just really, really tricky to, to, to win convincingly in Jordan-Hare, so I, I would take uh, Auburn to cover that one. Kentucky minus three and a half home against LSU. I feel like we're 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 almost getting lulled in, into where Kentucky's chalk this weekend, but I think LSU is just that big of a disaster uh, that that I I feel good about Kentucky as home favorites against LSU. Yeah, and finally, Michigan. Oh, excuse me. Uh, well, no, let's do Michigan, Nebraska. I, I thought we had two left. Michigan at Nebraska. We got Wolverines minus three and a half. At Lincoln. You know what? Upset special of the week. Whoa. Yeah. I think that if Nebraska can slow that run game, I mean, same formula as, as a week ago, but I mean, if Nebraska slows that run game and makes Michigan throw it at all, Michigan suddenly finds itself in trouble. Um, Nebraska can definitely move the ball in Michigan. I think with, 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 um, with Martinez and company, if Martinez continues to be mistake free, this game is at Nebraska at night. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think I think Nebraska could win. I love it. I love the the McKechnie upset special of the week. And finally, Penn State, Iowa. I, I think we're both we're both riding Iowa here, right? I mean, we we kind of already went over this one. Iowa minus one and a half. You sticking with it? I am. Yes, I, I do like Iowa to, to cover this one to to win outright, of course, and uh, yeah, to cover that that. That narrow, narrow spread, I am very much looking forward to that one. That, that game will be going concurrently with, with Georgia-Auburn, but uh, that will be locked into the to TV2 in, uh, at the McKechnie Ranch. Absolutely. You are a lucky man that you do not have uh, your girlfriend's co-worker's wedding to attend. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's going to be a rough one. You know, I, I'm going to have to get through it. I, I've done it before. I'll do it again. Um, I'll, I'll be checking in with you throughout the day, I'm sure, on Saturday. Uh, but please, wish me luck. Uh, absolutely, man. I mean, th- this is why I'm functionally single for for the football season. <laughs> Anti-cuffing season in, until what? Yeah. Whatever until after the New Year's Day bowls. <laughs> yeah, then I'm just, I'm just bird box. Like I, I see no I see no one but football. <laughs> All right, man. Fun as always. We'll talk soon. Yes.